Welcome to another session of uh, worship at Bethlehem and Zion. This uh, podcast is for worship on October 13th. We begin with prayer. O oh God, you are always present with us, even and especially when we're compelled to make difficult choices in the midst of difficult situations. Be at work in our hearts to find peace on our pathways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's reading comes from the book of Ruth in the first chapter, beginning at verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malin and Kilium. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabic wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will be there will I be buried. From Mark, beginning in chapter three, at verse thirty-three, and he replied, "Who are my mother and my brothers?" And looking at those who sat around him, he said, "Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother." The story of Ruth is a feel-good story. It's one that really does end with, "And they all lived happily ever after." The beginning of the story takes place in Moab. Because of a famine, Naomi and her husband had gone to Moab for better prospects. It's fairly remarkable how often in Scripture, famine and other hardship drives the story. The story of Israel is a story of repeated famines and wars which force the Israelites to migrate outside their own territory and mix with other people. 
So in Moab, Naomi and her husband have two sons. But then her husband dies. Then her sons, who had married women from Moab, also died, leaving no heirs. Naomi decides it's time to go back to her family home. Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law, are still young enough they have a chance. Naomi encourages them to stay in Moab, remarry, and start a new life. Orpah does just that and goes off with Naomi's blessing. Ruth, however, insists on sticking with her mother-in-law, no matter what. Although this part of the story isn't about a marriage, one of my favorite wedding scriptures comes from this passage. Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. Ruth has made a commitment to Naomi. So off they go. Back in Judah, in Bethlehem, Naomi employs a matchmaking scheme, and Ruth marries one of Naomi's relatives, Boaz, and they have a family. The story truly does end happily. But unless you know what that little part of the world was like in that time, you miss the surprising jolts of the story. And I think it's in those surprises that the story has something for us. The very first line of Ruth begins, In the days when the judges ruled. That already tells us a lot. Last week, the story left us across the River Jordan from Canaan, the land God promised would belong to Israel. Canaan was the promised land. Joshua led the people into the land. Through a series of successful battles, they were able to carve out a place for themselves there. But they never did take over the whole land. Israel was divided into 12 tribes, all named after one of Jacob's, or Israel's, 12 sons. The tribes were ruled by what Scripture calls judges. The book right before Ruth is actually called Judges. The judges were basically tribal rulers. The whole of Canaan was a tribal society. It was not a peaceful time. There was constant war between the tribes of Israel and the surrounding people. There were wars between the tribes themselves. A recurring phrase in the book of Judges is everyone did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. All but a handful of the tribal rulers were corrupt. Subsistence agriculture made people always one drought or one bad crop away from starvation. Violence, lawlessness, starvation, not exactly how most of us would envision the promised land. It's during one of those famines that Naomi and her husband left and traveled to Moab, presumably because there was food there. It would have been about 50 miles over rocky, steep, and often inhospitable terrain. So let's talk about these people from Moab. You might remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. These are cities that, according to Scripture, God destroyed because of their evil. Lot, Abraham's nephew, was the one good person who was to be saved along with his family. However, his son-in-laws refused to leave Sodom. So Lot, his wife, and two daughters left. As they were leaving, his wife looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. I'm telling you, Hollywood has nothing on the book of Genesis. So anyway, that left Lot... <clears throat> and his two daughters living in a cave in the hills. Without any other promise of sons, the daughters get their father drunk and have sex with him to get pregnant. The first son, born out of one of those unions, was named Moab. That's where the Moabites came from. It's not exactly a fabulous beginning. Now, God actually dealt kindly with the Moabites in many ways, since they were Lot's descendants. But they were a despised people, and for most of their history they were enemies of the Israelites. By law, they were ritually excluded from the assembly of Israelites. And when there was a war between Israelite people and the Moabite people, Scripture says God sided with Israel. 
There is no explanation in the story for why Naomi and Elimelech chose to go to Moab. It hardly seems a place where they would be welcomed. The fact that they did go there would have been shocking to the Israelites. But God's story is like that. Just about the time you think the Bible has been clear about who the good guys are and who the bad guys are and about who's in and who's out, God switches it up. Because here, not only have the Moabites apparently welcomed the Israelite family, the Moabite daughters-in-law are held up as particularly good examples of faithfulness. And Ruth especially becomes an example as she risks everything and sets out with her mother-in-law towards an unknown future, a future with people who may consider her not only a foreigner, but someone from an inferior and even shameful background. And it works out well for her. She marries a well-off relative of Naomi's and starts having babies. One of those babies is Obed, who became the grandfather of King David, who was one of Jesus' earthly ancestors. It's another big surprise that Jesus' ancestry would contain somebody like Ruth. Well, on its own, it's a lovely little story. But the surprises in it have something to say to us other than the unexpected choices that God makes for heroes. The big story of that time, though, was the violence and war, the lawlessness, the corrupt tribal leaders, and the ever-present threat of starvation. But in this little story set in that time, we don't see much of that. There's lots of warmth and love instead. There's people encountering someone they're supposed to hate, and instead love blooms. And there's generosity. Before Ruth and Boaz got together, Ruth went to one of his fields to glean. Now, gleaners were people who followed along after the workers harvesting the crop. Often it was the widows and the poor. Whatever the harvesters missed or dropped was to be left behind for the poor to glean. It was the Israelites' method of public assistance for the poor. When Ruth caught Boaz's eye in the field, he told his workers to leave extra for her and also provided for her safety. He also provided food for Naomi. There's a charming but slightly scandalous episode, again engineered by Naomi, where Ruth goes into the threshing room at night and lays down next to Boaz. Ultimately, arrangements are made for the wedding, and they establish their lives together. So in the midst of a bigger chaotic story going on around them, ordinary life, love, and generosity happened. Well, in our world, that's kind of where we are now. The big story in our nation can seem equally chaotic. Violence, wars, economic struggles, distrust in leaders— Now, as Christians, I don't think we're to ignore the big story. Political and economic processes affect God's people, and we are called to speak truth to power when that power hurts people. But a lot of the time, we're just called to live where we are and love the people we encounter every day. We're called to be generous with neighbors in need. We're called to tend the relationships in our families and in our communities. We're called to reach across lines of ethnicity and race. And we're called into work that creates a strong community. We're called to farming and other agricultural work, teaching, caring for the sick, raising children, tending children, tending grandchildren, running a business. Children go to school and learn what they need to know to be good citizens, and they learn to tend relationships there. It can be pretty tempting to despair when we look around at the big story around us. But when we look closer to home, we too will encounter those beautiful little stories of love, risk, and wonderful encounters between people who are very different from each other. God is at work in the big stories. It's worth watching for those times when suddenly, for a moment, we get a glimpse of good being done to help people on a large scale. 
And because God is at work in those big stories, sometimes we are called to be as well. But we are also called to not miss all the little stories and the little opportunities to love, to not miss the little stories that God has created us to be a part of. Amen. In your prayer time this week, uh, I would invite you to um, look at a couple of possibilities uh, if you're in, uh, in need of a uh, something to focus your prayers. I would um, suggest focusing on uh, uh, women who are widowed and who are poor and uh, who rely on the generosity of others to uh, help them. Uh, I would invite you to um, lift up, again, uh, people who have to migrate because of circumstances surrounding them. And then I would invite you to uh, lift up all those people who are food insecure and who uh, struggled from day to day to have enough food to eat, or whatever is on your heart and mind to pray. Um, Thank you for listening to this podcast, and we'll uh, meet again next week.